You are listening to Stay Lifted Sis with your host, Devin J. Hall from loudmouthbrowngirl.com. We respectfully acknowledge that we are blessed by the land upon which we gather, live, and connect. It is the traditional and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Kwantlen, the Katsi, the Semiamu, and the Tawasin First Nations. I am super excited about this. this is like season we'll say season 2.1 of um, the former podcast known as Comfortably Uncomfortable Conversations, which was way too freaking long a name. And honestly, the conversations were wonderful and beautiful and I learned a lot, but they were so fucking intense. And as a trauma survivor, every day of my life is so intense. But sometimes I just want to have a little fun. So the show is now called Stay Lifted Sis and I'm going to be interviewing amazing women from across the world talking about things like trauma, humor, life, being a mother, hearing your teenage daughter say you just don't understand when you've been a victim of gang and cult rape who actually does understand. Um, All of the things that make us weird and human and beautiful and spiritual will be talked about on this show. And my first guest today is somebody who super, super gets that, Dr. Ashley Perkins, who is on Twitter as Because I Matter, and whose not only job, but platform it is to make people realize that they actually do matter and they deserve to be here. Welcome, Dr. Ashley. Hello, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here because I remember, um, I think like a year ago, maybe a little bit less, you sent me a message on Twitter and I, I don't remember what the message was, but I remember seeing your Twitter at and I saw because I matter. And every time I see a tweet from you, I see the phrase because I matter. And on days when the world sucks and everything's burning and Afghanistan is dying and the rainforest is gone and the cartels are taking over and Biden is losing his mind and oh my God, aliens are coming and like literally everything (laughs) is happening all at once. I see the phrase because I matter and I think, hey, I don't have to focus on all that stuff today. Um, and that is the influence that you bring into my life. So I'm super glad that you're here. How are you? I, I'm doing well. It's the past couple of weeks have been intense to say the least. Um, you know, since March of 2020, I feel like, I don't know who flipped a switch on like this, like downward spiral I feel like the world has been on um it really it, does feel like someone in the universe just went click yes <laughs> yes I woke up one morning and we're literally living in this like um end of the world real that we see in these movies and I'm like what happened because it's like you know pandemic murder hornets you know, I'm like, what is happening? I, it's been something else. And it's been a lot of things that people, you you wouldn't have imagined us having to go through some of these things, especially the pandemic. I mean, no one would have imagined this. And to be back here and watching so many of my friends, because as a pharmacist, being a healthcare provider, watching a lot of my friends just fried. Because we are trying to provide health care to people who don't want it. And we, they didn't train us for this. They didn't train us for this. They didn't, they didn't explain to us what to do when someone didn't want a vaccine or that it's just a place we never thought we'd be and things we were dealing with that. And I'm much more of an empath than I ever thought I was. And 
um, dealing with these emotions, I, I realized that when we start to get on this wheel where it seems like every day something new is happening, I really have to take a step back for myself and say, okay, I need to like take I, a deep I breath literally, and reset. I literally whisper Jesus fucking Christ like 30 times a day. And I'm a Catholic girl. So like for me to be using that name that way every yeah. single day, like every hour is like super blast. I expect St. Peter to take one look at me one day and be like, no, dude, <laughs> peace out. Like you are on your own, you disrespectful cow. But by the same token, like every, okay. I remember um, I grew up in Calgary and I lived across the street exactly from CFB Calgary from where all the soldiers and their families um, lived, right? And then mm-hmm. across the highway from that is where they worked. Mm-hmm. So I was next door to the barracks and it didn't like, it was not a big deal to me that there were soldiers next door, like no big mm-hmm. deal. But then one day in like grade two or three, they're like, okay, cool. Our soldiers are going to war. And I had no concept of what that meant. Right. 28 fucking years later, they come home. Yeah. Two weeks after that, they're getting sent back. And I just had this sense of like, wait, what? Yeah. We did this already. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's hard. I still haven't really, I'm somebody who doesn't process stuff quickly Yeah. with this much magnitude. Like I don't process this stuff quickly at all. I never have. I've been somebody who really needs to sit with it to process feelings of this magnitude. Um, and I still, I'm like at a place where I'm like, what? is happening because it's been i'm pretty sure i said jesus fucking christ on a cracker multiple times um i honestly feel like it's it's like driving down the highway and seeing train wreck after train wreck after train wreck and oh look there's a plane you know what i mean like right stop and it's shocking and it's scary and it's overwhelming and so i guess my next question is what do you do like i i was I deal with a lot of trauma um, that comes from childhood sexual abuse. You know my story. Lots of people do know how bad it was. I'm still, I'm still peeling back layers of like, holy crap, I survived that too. Um, and I flash back to this moment where I was being abused one day and my abuser's mother came down and hit him in the head with a frying pan. And I've been laughing about it for the last three days because when do you ever see anybody get hit in the head with a frying pan? Um, and it's not so much the fact that he got hit in the head with a frying pan. It's the fact that like that event happened in my lifetime mm-hmm. while I was sitting right there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not something that I would ever think that any, many people get to tell the story. of. Right. Um, what happened in your lifetime that makes you just go, geez, like what, <laughs> like, how did I, how did I get to this place where I survived that and I can now laugh about it? So I have a lot. I have a lot of them. Um, yeah. I actually, there was one time. So I have a colleague that I worked with uh, back when I was doing my fellowship um, at the School of Pharmacy at Marshall um, in West Virginia. And at one point I was telling her a lot of things. And she looked at me and she goes, it is remarkable the things that you have gone through. And I'm like, I know. I was like, sometimes I wonder how I'm still alive because it is, it's, it's one, it's a wonder I've survived some of the things I've gone through. 
Yeah. Um, I was bullied horribly as a child. Um, when you're different, especially intelligence wise, you, you get, you know, picked on and it was relentless. Yeah. Um, and then my first experience with suicide was when one of my classmates died by suicide in the fifth grade. And back in the nineties, that wasn't, that's, that wasn't like a common thing back in the nineties. We didn't talk about that. No. And I, there were no conversations about, um, bullying, being sexually abused, um, Mm. being LGBTQ. I remember telling a kid in grade nine, not to tell people that he was gay because I was terrified of how they would treat him. And they were offended by that. And I'm like, hi, I've known you since grade two and you were horribly evil. Why would I expect that you would be nice to somebody who's gay when you're horrible to me? And by the way, I might be gay and I don't know yet. Like we didn't have the words to be like. Yeah. And I grew up in a rural white America, like very small white place. Uh, It's like right outside of Columbus, Ohio. Um, And it's very small, very white, very, you know, Republican. So and, we grew up in the same neighborhood then, in like okay, mirrors. So similar, yeah, yeah, like soldiers, white areas, people, just different countries. There yeah. were, um, there was one black, one Indian family when I was in grade school. They booked it out of there as fast as they fucking could, and then there was one black family that was like, "We don't want to touch you because you're kryptonite. We see how they I treat think, you." I don't think there were any black people or colored people. I don't remember. I can't remember anybody because we moved when I was in the middle of seventh grade to another area of Ohio. Um, And I don't think we had anybody. Um, I'd have to ask my my best friend and I are still very close. Um, We've been friends for 32 years, but she'd know better. She might remember better than me, but no. And I remember the look on my fifth grade teacher's face as he was telling us because they had grief counselors. Cause of course it's like, how do you explain to a school classroom full of fifth graders? Yeah. And I remember it vividly because I remember the student and I remember it vividly because I remember his face telling us and how you could tell he felt guilty, even though we all know there's only so much you can do to help somebody in that situation but you know back in 95 if you're not having the conversations about what suicide means and why it happens and how the behavior of others can affect whether someone like if you're not having those conversations how can you practice explaining them so that you can be prepared to explain them and I find with the thing that I find so fascinating is because we didn't have these conversations the fact that kids today are dealing with active shooter drills and freaking tornado warnings and oh the freaking Taliban might come to America like the, the Taliban has come to America actually and shot up yeah. shop like these conversations that kids are having today right yeah we didn't even know we were we didn't even know we were supposed to be prepared for that stuff back then right and so I'm sitting here and I'm like how the fuck did I survive? Because there are kids taking yeah. active scooter shooter drills yeah. at the same age that I was getting abused. Like the juxtaposition of then and now is freaking wild. 
Yeah, because I have a my son's in kindergarten, and just the things that they're faced versus what I was faced at that age is very different. Um, but you know, to go back to the whole, you know, how do I get through these things? You know, when I went through my discrimination, and the reason why I'm here doing what I do now is because of being discriminated against for my mental health back in 2019. Um, a volunteer organization that I had dedicated almost 20 years of my time to, an individual thought it was okay to use my mental health as a way to question my abilities, which we both know is not okay. Um, and me being me, I fought back because I thought I was in a place that would do the right thing. Well, I was wrong. Um, and I went through eight months of hell. And after I left, I vowed that it was never going to happen to me ever again. And I was going to make sure it didn't happen to other people. But I remember telling my therapist at the time, who was very helpful in getting me through that situation. I felt like fourth grade me again, back in my stall, crying my eyes out while I was being bullied by those girls. Yeah. And it's like, I was just, I was going back to that place again. And that's when I realized how much my past trauma is linked to now trauma and how it really just all kind of intertwined and how complex our trauma really is. Yeah. I've been telling my mom, um, because when I started Loudmouth Brown Girl, I, I had quit my job working at a church, um, or I'd been fired actually. And I kind of dicked around a little bit, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. Got into radio for a little while, had a horrible experience, got arrested for having a panic attack. And I started loudmouth because I wanted time to heal. I wanted time to just process the sheer volume of the shit that I had been through. But I wanted at the same time to prove that I wasn't psychotic, that I wasn't lying, that I wasn't crazy, that I, that I had valid concerns about what had been done to me. And so for the longest time, Loudmouth was really about being like, look, see, I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm normal. I'm just like you and da, 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 da. And it's only recently in like the last couple of days where I've been like, who the fuck am I trying to prove this shit to? Like literally none of the people in my past matter to me. Almost every single one of them with the exception of five or six stole parts of myself, of my body, mind, and soul to cultivate this person they thought that I should be, right? So that I could fit in with people that I didn't particularly like just so I didn't feel alone. Mm -hmm. And then once I thought back to my abuser's mom, I was like, wait a minute. She was willing to put her own son's risk, physical safety at risk to protect me. Maybe there's something worth protecting here. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, loudmouth doesn't have to be about proving anything to anybody. It just has to be a record of how far I've come and where I'm going, right? And my question to you is, um, where in those moments of like, okay, this trauma feels like fourth grade trauma, do you go, but I already did that. I don't need to do that again. Like, I understand it. I don't need to explain it to myself because I feel like for me, a lot of dealing with my trauma is really like emotionally experimenting with myself. What do these words mean? How do they feel? How do they taste? And then I'm like, 
yeah, seriously, I've, I've, I've literally already done this. I know what this is. I can move on. So a few months ago, I finally decided because I was always so angry still like, yeah, I finally left the organization in August of 2019. So just the actual act of what this person did to me was January 2019 is when it happened. And I finally left in August of 2019. So, you know, I left, I said, bye, I'm leaving. No more. Don't contact me anymore. I'm gone. Finally, in June, I said of this year, I said, I've got to let this stuff go. I, I'm doing good things. I'm, I love what I'm doing now. I'm going to start teaching again with pharmacy technician students. So I'm still doing the pharmacy stuff I love to do. Um, You know, I'm doing this advocacy work, which is so important, you know, giving people a voice, helping them find their voice, helping them, you know, be comfortable in their own skin. Like all of this stuff is all stuff I want to be doing. So I have got to get rid of this baggage because it's not doing me any good. Yeah. So I got a new therapist because we had just moved in November. And so I needed a new therapist here. And that's what I wanted to do. I told her, I said, I need to get rid of this. I need to let go. I don't know how to go about this, but whatever I've been doing, it's not working. And I need to go, I need something new. And she said, okay, well, you know, if you want out of the box. And I said, yes, we need out of the box because what I'm doing is not working. So she, she recommended two books because that's really how I do it. I, I, I love learning and learning by doing is really how I do it. So she recommended two books. She recommended a book on forgiveness, which is hard for me because I'm not religious, like not religious at all, but I grew up in the Lutheran faith. So like my, that actually to me, that explains it a little bit. It does because we have a Lutheran church down the street and I've had some experience with Lutherans and like, and I mean, devout Lutherans. Um, and I'm not, for the record, there are very different kinds of Lutherans in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, there are those that are polygamous. There are those that are not. There are all yeah. different kinds of Lutherans in the world. Um, but the Lutheran church is a very interesting place to to grow up and to experience religiosity, relig- religiousness, religious. Yes. The religious experience in the Lutheran church is um, interesting. It is interesting. Because everybody has a different point of view, right? And that's kind of the Lutheran way that like everybody approaches it differently. And they're like, but we're accepting of your way, but we're not really accepting of your way. We kind of want you to do it our way, but we're going to tell you that we're accepting of your way until you do it our way. (laughs) Yes, it's that. And see, and I think my, my thoughts on forgiveness were skewed because I, I could, I wasn't giving because I had this skewed thought on forgiving. So she recommended a book on forgiving and I read it. I kept an open mind because I went into this as I need a different perspective. Right. And I read the book and it really helped me in the way that I need forgiveness. Those people don't need forgiveness. I need forgiveness so that I can move on. So it was like, I was forgiving my soul. I was forgiving me so that, because I deserve forgiveness that I can move on. And then the second book talked about letting go 
And every time, actually, I just had therapy today. And I told her I'm going to call it my Let It Go book so that I can start singing Let It Go from Frozen because I want to break into song um, because I'm me. And uh, I had her laughing like I usually do. Um, but it talks about letting go in the sense of staying present. Yeah. I'm a doom thinker and I'm, I'm my own worst enemy because when my mind is idle, I will literally start ruminating and doom thinking and thinking about all these things. And it never leads me anywhere good. And I start thinking about all these things and past things and things that I, it's just, it's never good. And that's why I call it doom thinking because it's just not good. And so what it does is when I start to do that doom thinking, I acknowledge that I'm doing it. I stop doing it. And I kind of bring myself back to the present moment. And what I do is I kind of, I, I uh, repeat, I am. I just repeat, I am because I'm in the moment I am. And I just repeat it because what it does is it helps me to drop what I'm doing, bring me back to the present moment. And then I start going about whatever I'm doing. And I've noticed I'm letting things go. I'm lighter. I'm, and by golly, (laughs) it's working. Um, I love, I love that you just said by golly, because that is the whitest thing ever. And I just, I I love it so much. Um, I've been down I, south too long. They put me in the south, and you start picking stuff up. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I um, it's so funny because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking that like when I started loudmouth, one of the things that I started doing, I was dancing, I was singing, I was rapping. I did a full blown like three feet from here. I sat down and I was better than Eminem. I nailed that shit. And I was rapping to a song. I don't remember the song. I don't remember the artist. But I was not listening to the lyrics. I was just like fuck you for all of the things coming out of my mouth and it was so cool and I wish that I'd recorded it but I guess it was like a thing between me and the universe do you ever dance do you ever dance naked? do you ever like strip down turn up the tunes lock the door and dance naked well no you should I'm not comfortable with my own body but that's a whole other podcast okay but that's the point though but that's the point because when you dance like look I'm going to say this for all the young boys listening. I'm going to say this for all of the men listening. There are two important reasons that I'm going to say this and you will understand once I've said it. Actual grown ass women have hair on their vaginas. We do not shave it within an inch of its life. We have had kids with hair on our vaginas. We've had sex with hair on our vaginas. We've masturbated with hair on our vaginas. And the reason that I say this is because when you strip down naked and you're dancing in front of the mirror and you see your boobs, especially when they're like mine and they're 10 times larger than they actually need to be, for the record, (laughs) (laughs) flopping from side to side and up and down, and you see the hair on your vagina, you cannot, you can't do anything but laugh. Because you look like a fucking idiot. Well, I and... am an idiot, but that's just another. <laughs> but when you embrace that side of yourself, right? Where you're like, wait a minute, this body has been through losing a child or giving birth. This body has been raped and survived. This body has been touched against mm-hmm. its will and survived. This body survived all the white men in the entire freaking world. There's a mm-hmm. lot of white men with white men attitudes. 
and you see all of the scars, right? And you see all of the bruises and the marks, you start to appreciate like how far this body has come with your soul. Oh, and yeah. there's a bonding that happens between your body and your soul. And I haven't done it in a while because I smoke weed and I'm paranoid that like people are always watching me. Um, but <laughs> it is, it's one of the most freeing things because it's what our ancestor women used to do. They yeah. didn't care about covering up their hair or their hairy legs. Like, oh, I don't that care was, about that my was a legs. normal thing. I stopped shaving those a heck of a long time ago. Oh my God. Pandemic day. Joe Biden said there's a pandemic and I threw my razors away. I was like, peace out. I've shaved. I haven't once. done that a long time. <laughs> it's great, right? I mean, before the pandemic, I never did. My technicians used to make fun of me all the time because I never did before. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's this thing that like women didn't start shaving their legs until the 1920s. So it was I was only- the pharmacist who was carrying her tampon in her hand in her hand to go to the bathroom because I don't care. I, yeah, it's not like I need to hide anything. I'm carrying in my hand. Guys would be like, did I interrupt something? And I'm like, oh my God. I remember I was grocery shopping. Um, I think it was last year. It was in the middle of the pandemic, like when it just started and a bag of pads, unopened, untouched, brand new off the shelf, fell off the conveyor belt and onto the floor. And there was a man standing behind me with his girlfriend and he looked down at it and he looked fucking terrified. Like I have never seen him have looked so afraid in my life. And I was like, dude, is this your girlfriend? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, it's not going to bite. And if you're not used to this, you need to not be getting married. Like just if the number of men that are afraid of menstrual products is shocking to me. Yes. Agreed. The idea that women should be embarrassed because we have natural bodily functions that we cannot control. I'm not. Mm. Yeah. I'm one of those people that, again, when I, when I started doing this, I chose to 100% be an open book. You can ask me literally anything and I will answer your question because I know there are people out there who are not comfortable, who Mm -hmm. are not ready. So I want to be that person that you can come to, to ask those questions. So those people don't have to be. See, and I I just really like making people uncomfortable, especially men, because men have spent so many years of my life tearing me down that I'm like, oh, okay. You're uncomfortable with pads. Let me pick these up and shove them in your face. So you can get a nice good look at this package of pads uh, before I put them on the conveyor Fun belt. Story. And like every time I make a, a white man uncomfortable, I feel like it's my revenge for all the times that men made me uncomfortable. Oh, oh well, and that's, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> Absolutely fair. I mean, there is a picture of my, when he was three, maybe it was clean. But a panty liner, I stuck it to his forehead and he was running around with one of those long like trumpets that you get at like sporting events. Yeah. He was running around with it stuck to his head. That's awesome. I'm that mom. I'm that mom. I, I feel like I would probably be that mom. I would probably be the one that's like, let me take all the embarrassing pictures now so that when you get married or become president or doctor, I can slowly release them to the world and just like remind you that you're still my child. It's just every house because I'm the best goof because 
that is just how we roll. I feel like embracing your inner goof and like, like I've been making more videos for Loudmouth Brown Girl lately and my teeth are really fucked up um, from years of abuse and trauma and all the things. And I'm like, you know, I don't care. Like, I know why my teeth and my skin and my face and everything is, is not as pretty as it could be. I'm not trying to be Beyonce. I'm trying to be Devin J. Hall. Right. And once you, you embrace that, like you're trying to be your version of you, I feel like everything else just matters. starts to fall into place. Uh, absolutely. I, the day I started embracing making mistakes stop with the perfectionist thing because it's impossible you can't you literally can't do it it's not human um I started calling them learning moments because they're not it's not a mistake like it's we are human we can't be perfect so I look at mistakes as learning moments because they are a moment that I can learn and grow and become better yeah. So when I started to frame it like that, I started making less. I started enjoying them more because when I when I say I enjoy making mistakes, people are like, what? and I'm like, what? Try it sometimes. I'm like, instead of looking at it as a mistake, which everybody thinks as negative, think about it as a learning moment. Trust me, you'll see it as less of a negative, more as a positive moment for you to learn. I tell my students that all the time. I'm like, you're going to get, you're going to take criticism a heck of a lot better if you look at it as that instead of a negative thing. I think, a lot that on you. I think that that's such a great way to look at it because we, we give so much appreciation and pride to people who, there was a guy um, in the newspaper recently, and I don't know where, but he had decided that he wanted to finish college before he turned 80 or 90. And he was like 76 and he just finished university and everyone's like, wow, you're a hero. You're so amazing. But like, if it's not standardized education, if it's not, if you don't get a, like a certificate that says you've accomplished something at the end of it, people are not appreciative of the fact that you have learned and you have grown. And I think that we need to celebrate all of those moments that the rest of the world doesn't see. Those are the moments that made Beyonce who she is and Oprah and Barack Obama. They're not the moments that the whole world gets to see. The moments that the world gets to see are the ones that are that come at the end of the lesson. They're not the lesson. They're not the educational part. They're the celebration. Yeah, and I think so much of what society puts on us and all of these things that we have to be or accomplish or whatever these standards I I think so much of these our mental health struggles anxiety and all this stuff all these unnecessary expectations that have been put on us by other people or you know society it's just I think a lot of it comes from that you know it's just we were, we're told for so much, like I have this horrible imposter syndrome that I don't believe I belong and that I'm not good enough and that I'm not an expert is that, you know, or all these things. And like, I still don't believe, like I was telling my boss the other day, I was like, I still feel like an adult most of the time. And I'm 37 years old. Oh my God. I, I had this epiphany last week. I realized I was talking to my brother about this. I'm 38 years old and I still feel 12. Yeah. Nobody prepared me for this shit. 
Nobody was like, here's what you have to look forward to in your 30s. You're 38 now. So everybody you know is going to ask when you're ready to get married and who you're going to get married to. And they're all going to focus on whether or not your vagina is going to be spent with a man for the rest of your life or a woman for the rest of your life. Or how many children? How many children? What job you're going to have? How much money you're making? Whether or not you have a house? Do you have a car? Do you have insurance? Do you have expectations? I'm sitting there and I'm like, whoa, dude. I don't even know what I want for breakfast. Do I even want to put panties on today? Like, I'm still deciding if I want to wear underwear and you want to know who I want to... I'm not dating anybody. I My job is to be a blogger. Like, I, I don't understand where it's... where. I don't understand where we got so... I don't know where it happened that we had to have X amount of things and x amount of you know certificates and x amount of you know degrees and you know alphabet soup after your name to make you look special and i'm like i think it's a I victorian a throwback person i think it's a victorian era throwback because i think back in those days um even before like the images that we have today of skinny skinny women women specifically used food as their outlet right if they were wealthy and successful they were overweight and that was a sign that you had power and you had money and you were worthy of being around good looking rich men and if you were skinny it was a sign that you were poor right and so then it switched and women were like well i want to be skinny and beautiful as well as rich and powerful i want to have a car i want to have this i want to have that and the list and of the things that we have to have before we can prove that we're successful and happy and independent just keeps fucking growing. And I'm like, but I don't want any of that shit. I don't want a car. I want a driver. I want to sit and smoke weed while somebody drives me to where I want to go. I cannot (laughs) smoke weed if my ass is driving. Right. And it's like, but no, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to want. And I'm like, but doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, and I just, you know, for me, people just need to be allowed to do what they want to do, set the expectations that they need to set for themselves, and let people live. I I mean, I just want people to be able to do them. And if they have mental health issues, mental disorders, whatever it is, Stop stereotypes on them and telling them they can and can't do things. That's what really gets me hot and bothered is that just because I have X, Y, and Z doesn't mean I can't do things and don't tell me I can and can't. Yeah. And I think back to like Demi Lovato, Lovato, Justin Bieber, um, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, all of these people who are rich and wealthy and successful, quote unquote, and they were fucking miserable for years. They all dealt with mental health issues. They all dealt with eating issues. They all dealt with behavioral issues because of the expectations that people put on themselves. And it was like, but it's okay because you're rich and famous. So you're allowed to be crazy. And it's like, um, well, I'm not rich and famous yet, but I don't have a choice. I am crazy. And I am crazy because I was living up to these expectations that don't apply to me. They don't, they're not who I'm about. Well, and for me, no one would, I mean, and you, 
no one would know we have these problems. We don't look like we have these problems. That's the part. Just because, just because it doesn't look like the duck doesn't mean it's not the duck. I mean, I look perfectly normal and whatever is normal, normal in the spin cycle on the the di uh, the washing supposedly I, yeah. just because I don't look like I have problems doesn't mean I don't have problems people have got to stop assuming it looks a certain way the other thing the other part of that though is that um having problems doesn't give you the right to abuse others and that yes. was, I mean, there's been a couple moments in my life where I've looked back and I've been like, whoa, Devin, you could have done that shit better. But I didn't know it. My new neighbor has moved in and he's got a <laughs> fabulous race car that is for I, street racing. And it's, it's great. I hear it. <laughs> um, there were a couple moments where I've looked back and I've been like, yeah, you could have done that better. But nobody me taught well. me better. I was I was educated by abusers. And so I became one. And it was only when I was like, that behavior really hurt somebody that I care about that I was like, yes. I don't want to do that. Me too. Um, and that's the part that I think makes us different from those who abuse. Choosing to deliberately cause harm to someone else is a choice. Yes. What stops you from making that choice? Well, I did it. When I was going through my discrimination, I was in a leadership role. I was, if I would have done what was best correctly after I would have resigned. I should have resigned. I even told my husband the day after I wanted to resign. But I didn't because I didn't want to let anyone down. I stayed and I fought through. However, in the process, I took a lot of things out on people that I shouldn't have taken out on people. And I felt horrible. Like I look back on that and I was like, oh, I could have treated people better. And yes, did I deserve what I was going through? Oh, heck no. And was what I was doing to other people a result of what I was going through? Of course. However, it does not excuse what I did to other people. And for that, I will be always sorry for that. What I, my actions, I'll always be sorry for. And I always say, and I tell people when I'm talking to people who are going through similar situations, what you're going through is an explanation. Is it, it's, a, you're, it's an explanation for what you're going through. Don't ever use it as an excuse. That is such great advice. And it's, there are, there are moments where I look at my mom and I'm like, Ooh. like, if you could just see through my eyes for like five minutes, you might comprehend what I'm going through because trauma is so complex and it's so different. What is traumatic for somebody one day is not traumatic for them the next day. What is traumatic for you is like a cakewalk for me and how we explain that trauma is going to be different for you than it is for me, than it is for the next person. And so learning the, reminding yourself that just because it's something you can look at, look at and go, I can get over this, doesn't mean that somebody else can. And when we are victims of trauma perpetrated by others, the idea that like we can, the anger 
that we we hold on to because shit should not have happened to us at whatever age or by whoever person kind of overwhelms that thought process it's like but okay yes it sucks but you survived it yeah and that's the part that I feel like holds us back from moving yeah. forward I don't know if yeah. I explained that well <laughs> yeah no, no you did because you know it wasn't until recently that I got rid of that anger I finally was able to get rid of that anger so that I could move on because it was still consuming my every day I mean, yeah. it took me almost a year and a half to get rid of that anger. So it wouldn't consume my every single day. And it's finally not my every single day. And, you know, it meant I went public. I went full on public, Devin. Full on. Hey, on you're Facebook. talking to the girl that had a panic attack on an airplane and got arrested and screamed for four hours. I hear I you. went <laughs> on Facebook where I'm connected with all the people. Because, of course, they told me, stay off Facebook, Ashley. Don't do anything on Facebook, Ashley. Because the only person it hurts is not me, them. Yeah. But what, what I re- recognized after a year and a half was that it was keeping the anger in. And at this point, I was done. So what I did while I had gone through it, I had written a nine-page letter explaining to them how this was discrimination. And because I'm a pharmacist, I don't do anything without references. So like I even had my reference page of this letter and like I cited everything and like, you know, I mean, this was full on nerd. Like I did my rights here and I put it on Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I put that. it on Google. I put it on I, Google I, Docs. I, I did that too. When I, um, I, when like, I finally no got people. angry, and I finally went and like lost my shit. I made a video. I named names. I wrote six journals. I handed them into the RCMP. I said, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is how it happened. Um, I went full blown like, oh, okay. You gonna try to kill me? I'm gonna kill you back with truth. Like I, lo- I went full on oh, black yeah. girl and there was no stopping me. I got death threats. I got um, violent threats. I got reminders that I was supposed to keep my mouth shut. Like I got it all. And I remember thinking, you already tried to kill me once and you failed. Like you legit tried to kill me and I'm still here. And it took me a really long time to like process. Holy fuck, you're still here. Like, <laughs> And see, and I got the complete, I got the complete opposite. I got the full on silent, like nothing. Really? Like not. Now, grant you, the people who care about me, like they were like, oh my God, Ashley, I didn't realize it was this bad. Like, I'm leaving. I'm not going back. Like, I had people who were like, I didn't know. Wow. That, that, that was that bad. Because, you know, of course, I kept my mouth shut like a good person. And they were like, I'm going, I'm going to step away. Of course, I have people who are still on my side who have stayed because, again, I believe in the mission of what they're doing. I just don't believe in all the other stuff. And then I heard from one friend who said, oh, it went to the CEO, which is fine. I mean, the new CEO, because the other CEO is now gone, but that's a whole other situation. But nonetheless, they still have yet to apologize to me personally, and they never will, which is fine. I did what I needed to do because I instantly felt better. And I knew that's what I got. I needed to do. I offloaded it and I moved on that part right there. The fact that you did what you needed to do. 
Yeah. So you could be the version of Ashley or Dr. Ashley, I should say, um, that could move forward and be happy and live your life the way you need to live your life is so important because I was at a, a She Talks event several years ago and Brenda Rossotti, who is a local, kind of a local celebrity here, um, one of the things she said is that women do not, specifically women, don't give themselves enough credit for the things that they have done, for the people that they have helped, for the events that they have created, and for the influence that they have had on the planet. And it's because we don't do what we need to do to be happy. And that is stuck with that. me my whole life. Yeah. I believe that because, I mean, I've been fired from a past job. I've only been fired from one job in my entire life. Me one. too. One well, job. Two. One job. And this job that I was fired from was fully sexist, but I couldn't prove it. It was sexist based because I did everything that the men did, but they did not like the fact that I was doing they wanted me to shut up and do my job and I mean anyone who knows me back then I just wasn't as good at I was much younger back then and I wasn't as good at doing it grace <laughs> I mean I hate that phrase because why do women always have to be graceful I know I know I don't think it's fair and I agree with you 100 percent and that and back then I agreed with it even less, but, you know, I, I just, you know, it was just more blaringly obvious to me back then. And then I was just like, whatever, screw it. And I was pregnant at the time. I didn't know when they fired me. I found out a couple of weeks after I then, and it was just one of those things. I was like, screw it. I don't want to even want to work for him. And I just found another job because as a, I'm lucky in my job that I can just find another job. Um, at that time of my life, I didn't even want to go back, but it was, it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm a very independent, secure woman who is willing to speak up for herself, but when it deals with men, they don't like it. Yeah. They just no, want they you don't. to be quiet. Which doesn't work when you deal with loud women, um, which, and I mean, I would just like to know that um, we have loudmouth white girl hoodies and t-shirts in the loudmouth brown girl shop, specifically because it does not matter what color your skin is, you as a woman are allowed to be loud and you are allowed to be unapologetic and you are allowed to celebrate your existence without needing a man's approval. Um, one question before we go, what is a moment in your life that even today, all these months or years or weeks or days later, brings you undiluted joy that makes you laugh and happy when you think about it? Oh, goodness. Probably the day I gave birth to my son. I know probably everybody says it, but I mean, you can't, there is literally nothing like produce something like that. And I went through a lot of hell, literally, to give birth to him. Um, I had a lot of medical problems because I naturally have a lot of medical problems. So we knew it wasn't going to be easy and he will be a limited edition. There will be no more. Um, One time deal. 
literally the first time I am going me. to go and make a t-shirt that says limited edition just so you can have it for your son. Oh, he'll love it. Because limited edition, there will be one. Um, and no amount of times my mother-in-law tries to get me to do it again, it's not happening. Um, because the first one almost killed me. So literally to have it because I had a plan C section because I had back surgery when I was 20. So I I was not going to have back, you know, labor. We weren't even going to attempt back labor. I already have enough back problems. We're not even going to try. So I had a plan C section. I walked in like any other day. I waddled in actually because it was very large. Um and like literally like my doctor climbed into my body and then all of a sudden nothing was there and he had me I mean it was like 30 minutes from incision to baby out closed up and done and it was like amazing it was the coolest thing I've ever experienced my husband was on cloud nine because he had to do everything because I was, you know, like Jesus entire table and there was no moving me. So I had to lay there and, and enjoy watching my husband do everything. But he got to clip, you know, the umbilical cord and all of that fun stuff. But Wyatt's head was 20 and a half inches in diameter. I am tiny. So my doctor looked at me, looked at Wyatt, looked back at me and said, it's a good thing we planned this C-section because there is no way that head was coming out of you. <laughs> Watermelons and lemons, my loves. Watermelons and lemons. That's all I have to say. And I, I mean, I'm 38 and I think quite a bit about like having babies and um, I, I want to have babies, but by the same token, you can't drink for nine months. You can't smoke cannabis you're farting all the time, which I actually thoroughly enjoy, even though I'm not pregnant. Um, there's certain foods you can't eat. You can't have like all of the things I love you can't have. And I just don't know. Um, I don't know. 18 years is worth giving up nine months of all of my favorites. And you have medical issues after you have, it's lasting. Yeah. All right. I want to say thank you so much, Ashley. Um, I, I, I want to mention this. I cannot remember your husband's name, but he wrote a piece not too long ago about oh, yeah. what it looks like when you're living with somebody who has trauma and who's experiencing traumatic events and, and PTSD. And it was so beautifully written because we don't often hear from people who are living with those who have to deal with trauma. And I think we need to hear more of that. We need to hear more of that so that those of us who are dealing with trauma can at least try to adjust some of our behaviors and some of our habits um, and I think that also so that people who don't know what it's like to live with somebody who has trauma can learn and so that they can adjust their behaviors and their habits so that we can work together better. Um, where can people find you on social media? So personally, I'm on Twitter at because I matter. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. Um, it's Ashley Perkins Shogren, which is hyphenated and hard to say. So that's why no one finds me, which is okay. It's a hot mess. Facebook is a hot mess. I never, ever recommend Facebook. Um, and then it's better to find us as a whole. Uh, I we started a nonprofit. It's called We Matter Too, um, because we do matter. We all matter. 
and it's that's what this is about giving all of us a voice and going through our stories and our experiences helping others through our stories and our experiences understand what they're going through Um, because sometimes it's hard to understand and it's hard to put words to it so we hope through our stories and our experiences can help to understand what they're going through so it's we matter org, and then our instagram our twitter and our facebook is all the same it's at we matter to t-o-o-i-n we matter to i-n-c awesome and when does the book come out so if i ever edit it we don't know that'll ever happen because I, I'm really adverse. I've written it. It's fully written. It is written. My friend has read it. He loves it. It's just a matter of editing, which um, I suck at. I, I swear Honestly, I'm working on it. I, I literally first, edit a page a week. It's bad. I put my first book, Uncomfortable, out on Amazon. Um, I put it out without editing it. I sure. threw it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I have See, it sitting my on my best altar. friend is an English teacher and he probably would smack me upside of the head if I did so that. So make him edit it. Well, he tells me that's not a good thing to do. See, I he's my best friend. I listen to him for a reason. See, this is how I got through pharmacy school is I befriended an English major for a reason because I can't write. I couldn't write. I'm better at it now. He does say I got better. I, I promise I will do it. I will do it. I'm in grad school right now to be a better teacher. So like, I think that writing has like kind of- Do you know what I hear, ladies, gentlemen, and androgynous people? I hear a bunch of excuses. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think it's all bullshit. I want the book. Send the book. I know, I know. (laughs) It is excuses. I own it. I own it. It is excuses. All right. I am Devin J. Hall, your host, of, your, your host of State Lifted Sis. And you can find me at loudmouthbrowngirl.com and at all the things with some variation of Loudmouth Brown Girl on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all available through links on the website. I uh, can't wait to talk to my next guest next week. I actually have no idea who that is, so I have nobody to plug. But if you want to check out the shop or buy my book, remember loudmouthbrowngirl.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to stay lifted, sis.